Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Welcome to Let's Get Two, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And thank you, Andy Bertelson, for bringing us in. And I am your host, James Christopher, and this is another episode of Let's Get Two. So it's a kind of a weird state in which I'm recording the episode because I've not had a lot of sleep because I basically had what amounts to National Lampoon's trip to the Astros game last night. So for just to give everybody some geography that's not maybe in the Houston area. And yes, Matt. We are talking about the Astros today. Actually, quite a little bit of my Astros trip uh, to start the episode off. But we live in Austin, Texas on the south side. And so that puts us on a good day without a lot of Houston traffic, about two hours and 40 minutes from Minute Maid Park. And so it's nothing for my wife and I to drive to Minute Maid, see a game, and then drive home. But last night, it's as if the spirit of Clark Griswold possessed me, and that was who was driving the old front-wheel drive sleigh down the road to Minute Maid Park. And it was going to be a great night, too. Game of Thrones night. The Royals were in town, and we had some of the best seats that we've ever gotten. That's kind of Jessica's new mandate this season. Fewer games, better seats. So first of all, that two-hour and 40-minute trip slowed way down due to horrendous thunderstorms. We had really no break from it at all. And so it added almost an extra hour to our trip. So we didn't even show up to Minute Maid Park until about 7.20, 10 minutes after the first pitch. So being the gentleman that I am, I decide that I'm going to pull up to the front of the park as close as possible, let Jessica get out, get her into the park at least, um, and then I would go find a parking spot. So I go find a parking spot and end up completely drenched by the time I make it to the stadium. So I get a text from Jessica to find out where she is. And, and it's, again, it's Game of Thrones night. So we had pre-ordered the bobblehead and the t-shirt. We had to go stay in line to pick it up. Well, that line, and dear Astros, you got to have a better system on these big theme nights like this when you know people are going to buy in. Star Wars night is next month. You should have this fixed. The line was, to put in perspective... You picked up the bobblehead and the t-shirt in section 305. Jessica got in line at 325 and did not and did not get the bobblehead and t-shirt until about the fourth or fifth inning. Again, super expensive seats. So I go, so then we decide to divide and conquer. That's our big thing. Like we go to the grocery store, I take half the list, she takes half the list, boom, we're in, out half the time. We love to divide and conquer. So I said, listen, I'm freezing. I have this $100 gift card. I'm going to go to the team store, get the, get, get the sweatshirt, and hopefully by the time we're done together, we can at least meet, go get our dollar hot dogs, and go to our seats. But we're trying to remain positive. So then we sit down in our seats, and they are amazing seats. But by the time we sat down, it is 11 to 2 Royals. The Kansas City Royals, 11 to 2. And I realized that Colin McHugh had started pitching. And I realized Colin McHugh was starting pitcher and gave up six runs, which 
bright side, we saw him pitch in, in Arlington 10 days ago and he gave up 10. So, you know, we're improving. So, yeah, not a great experience at the ballpark. But this is the thing that bugs me. By the time, So we get home. Uh, I guess we get into the door about 2 in the morning. Our dogs are not happy with us. Get some sleep. I wake up this morning and I log in. And I'm just kind of checking standings, checking, checking statistics, checking submissions for our film festival. And I see a post from the Astros recapping the game. And I notice that there's 300 and something comments. And they're all angry. They're all mad. And they, you know, gifts of Dallas Keuchel. Why didn't you offer Dallas Keuchel? Well, first of all, they did. And he said no, which is his right in a free market system. But... But then I just started like I'm reading all these articles. The I'm reading all these posts about how the season's over, how they're awful, and all this stuff. And, and then I'm like, I check the calendar on my phone to make sure it really is still just May second, and it's still May second. And then I check the standings, and I realize, yeah, there's still three games in front of the division, which yes, they are, and they were only half a game up in the division this time last year. That's how deep I get, folks. I love baseball. And then just for a, I don't know social experiment, I go to the post that the Astros made late night Tuesday after they beat the Royals. And then there's only 75 comments. What kind of a society do we live in where a loss gets you 300 comments and a win only gets you 75? And maybe it's the expectations of the team. I don't know. I just think it's gross. And I think, here's what I think. I don't think, I'm not one of these guys that says you can't criticize your baseball team. I will criticize my baseball team. I will ask real questions, you know, but I'm only a fan. Like the whole the whole premise of this podcast, right, is that I don't have the answers. I am not wired in. And there are other podcasts out there that'll get on and it's just a bunch of idiots talking about what they think they would do if they were Jeff Luno, but they don't have any access. They don't have any insight. They're not super articulate. Sometimes they'll post an article that's basically just a question with no solution. Like when I when I click on an article, I don't want to read just the question the writer has. I want to see if he had a possible solution. As we get heavier into the season and we talk about the MLB season, I'll provide what I think are some possible solutions to things. And I want you to take them with a grain of salt because I don't have any more access than the majority of the people that are that are passing themselves off as experts. But that's a whole other tangent. I don't think you need to be a sunshine pumper. And I don't think you need to say everything's great when the house is burning down. It's, but that really only counts that the house really is burning down. But I also think that if you're going to be this guy or this lady that's going to jump on and you're going to diss your team and you're going to just basically throw hot take after hot take about how bad this team is in May, then in September when they win the division by 10 games, I don't think I don't think you can be one of the ones being like, yeah, I knew they could do it. And I don't I just don't think you can. And look, you know, the Astros went through some lean years. I went to a lot fewer games. Lots of people did. But I think if you're somebody that just like openly disses them and tell them they can kind of like abandons them and abandons them emotionally, then I do think that you need to really ask yourself a question of why do you like the sport you're following and why do you like your team? But that's just me. I'm a guy about loyalty. So again, I don't think you should overreact now and then get to enjoy the spoils of what will be a really, really, really great season later. I think you got to take it in stride, particularly in May. I don't think until you get to August, you can't get too high and you can't get too low. You got to stay even keeled. And I will say this before we move on to the rest of the show. I do want to do a special congratulations, though, to the fans of Minute Maid who stayed till the end, including Jessica and I. And the fact that, you know, they showed Tyler White some love. And at first I kind of thought it was sarcastic. 
But Tyler White, our designated hitter, had to pitch the ninth, had a walk, struck a couple people out. I think he struck out two, but didn't give up any runs and, and got a pretty good response from the fans that were there. And so kudos to you. But speaking of good responses, I'm really excited that we're going to have the Amarillo Sod Poodles on. You know, the 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 the, the real formation of this podcast actually kind of coincides with the whole announcement of the Sod Poodles when they were making all that stuff is when we were starting to – when we were make, when they were making all that news is when we started to really put the framework together for this show. And so it kind of is pretty cool that we have them on the show. It was something I was really, really looking forward to. They have one of the best brands in minor league baseball. And so I thought, what a better time to return to our focusing on some of my favorite brands across minor league baseball than on the show highlighting one of the best brands in minor league baseball. So rather than stick with classification, because now we're getting into classifications with a lot more teams, we're going to go by league. And so we're going to talk about the Midwest League and some of my favorite brandings in the Midwest League. There are 16 teams in that league, and here are our top eight. So number one, and I just love this look, the West Michigan Whitecaps. I love the whole angry wave swallowing the baseball thing. Very, very cool design and really unlike anything that's in minor league baseball right now. We have two, at least that I know of off the top of my head, they have two mascots that are in minor league baseball that are raccoons. We've talked about one already, and then we have a third one joining us next year with the Trash Pandas. But let's talk a little bit about Quad Cities River Bandits. Just such a cool uh, logo playing off the whole masked raccoon look. Love the cowboy hat. Love the bandana. Number three is probably like the cutest, and I'd like to look at, look more into the history of this team, so maybe we'll reach out to the team to get them on there, but the Peoria Chiefs. When you hear the name Peoria Chiefs, right, you assume something Native American, and all of a sudden we're getting pretty touchy. I, have, from, from a political perspective, am very in the middle of the road on the whole Native American mascot thing. I think some are fine and some are offensive not necessarily all or one or the other so way back when i was so way back in december when we were starting to really put together the plans for the show i clicked on the chief's logo not really knowing what to expect and found one of my favorite things ever which is an angry firefighting dalmatian love it so Great job, Peoria. One of the best top-to-bottom brand and design, designing in all of minor league baseball is the Dayton Dragons. We, we're going to have the Dragons on the show, and I'll be out to see them in July. Can't wait. But just a really, really cool graphics, the way they use the dragon, the D with the dragon tail. And I promise it's not just because I'm way into Game of Thrones right now. Next up might be a shock to people who know me really well because I hate snakes. Much in the same way Indiana Jones hates snakes. And it, it all comes back to two moments in my life where snakes really terrified me. One, the famous shot at the end of the first episode of Lonesome Dove with the water moccasin gets the guy in the face. Can't do it, man. And I watched this cheap horror movie when I was growing up, uh, Rattlers, Texas Killers, and it was just terrifying and scary. It really, really did scare me to death. We're really big fans of the Kane County Cougars. Who doesn't like a mountain lion that looks jacked, ready to knock one out of the park? Love the look of the Burlington Bees. Maybe because it reminds me of my St. Ambrose Middle School Hornets days. And finally, there's something about cute turtles playing baseball. So great job for the to the Beloit Snappers on what is a really, really cool logo design. So we have a great rest of the show for you. I hope you all stick around. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball, talk a little bit of sod poodles, hear about some cool promos and all kinds of other fun stuff. 
from the bleachers, the let's get to game of the week. So for our from the bleachers segment, uh, Jessica and I, we attempted to record a segment from our Astros experience, but with the uh, deluge of water, it sounded awful. So instead, we're going to go to one of our favorite interviews, Mr. Ken Robertson, who's been on the road with his son, Matt, to talk about his bleacher experiences through minor league baseball. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Jim. How, how are you? Um, I'm doing great. Joining you again. I got a good segue for the water, uh, and I, I know I've, I joked with you about the bringing up the Astros, but I'm going to do it this time. Go ahead. There was a something happened today in Pittsburgh that's only ever happened three times or three times prior to today. Josh Bell hit a home run 474 feet into the Allegheny River. Okay. There was the, the first player to do it was an Astro back in 2002. Do you know off the top of your head? Would you be able to name the player? I'm going to guess Lance Berkman. No, it was Daryl Ward. Oh, wow. Hit a grand slam on uh, J- J- July 6th off of Kip Wells. I was at that game. I was at the game that he hit that in the in the water. So that was kind of memorable. When I heard that today, I was like, boy, I'm, what a day to talk to you. <laughs> Bring that up. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so you guys have been like everywhere. So let's just let's just talk about some of your highlights of what you've done so far. Okay, well, I kind of got I going through going through the list of like we've been to what thirteen games so far this year, nine, nine different stadiums. Um, sort of started out started out the year in our usual. We usually either start out at Akron or Altoona because of the way the Eastern League schedule sets up. So we used to open up in uh, Akron this year, and uh, the Pirates. Uh, one of their top pitching prospects was James Marvel. He he started up the season for him. He wound up throwing a shutout against Akron. So we were there for that. Um, the next night we were supposed to go to Harrisburg and see the senators play against Bowie, but that game got rained out. So like much like you guys are getting a lot of rain down there. We we've been deluged with rain up here too. Uh, so that game got rained out. We wound up going to a game in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, that was like the Saturday night, but their Friday night game got rained out. So we got to see a double header. Um, <clears throat> wound up being a both games with a score to two to one. So it was like, there wasn't much scoring, not a whole lot going on, but we were able to, we're able to sit through that. Uh, got ran into the uh, the baseball Brit was there, the guy that's been traveling around uh, all the minor league, ba- or I guess he's doing minor league and major league games. Yeah, so how was that? Talk, got to chat with him a little bit. Uh, nice guy. Nice guy. I had a good conversation with him for a little bit. He had to go up and do a radio interview. Uh, Melanie Newman was also in the house at that time, so we kind of gave her a wave. She was busy doing the post-game stuff on our way out. We just gave her a little wave wave to her. And sent her I feel like you and her. I should be the heads of the Melanie Newman fan club. <laughs> Yeah, she's great. Well, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll be the Susie. I'll be president of Susie Cool fan. Oh, yeah. I like them both. They're both. They're both great. Susie's a Pittsburgh gal, so I, you know, got always, got always, you know, stay with the local girl. I can't say enough about what an inspiration they are. You know, to yep. I, I got my daughter listening to their games. You know, she's mm-hmm. you know, with her son, so it's just, it's just great. So shout out to you guys, to Melanie. Yeah, and I've Susie. got I've got two daughters as well. Uh, you wouldn't know it from my last interview because my uh, oldest daughter was giving me giving me a little bit of trouble for. Uh, not mentioning that uh, I have two daughters, so I have Grace and Katie. I'll give a shout out to both of them. Uh, but yeah, it's an inspirational story for for uh, both girls. And I've got to meet I got to meet Susie last year at, at the uh, one of the Salem Red Sox games. So you know, and I, I've messaged back and forth with Melanie. So yeah, it's a big it's a big inspirational thing. Uh, we're planning on checking out one of their games. It's just a matter of figuring out the, our our hectic schedule. So. Yeah, I think when I go to Fayetteville, Salem will be there. So I told them I'd wave to them from the from the when i'm doing my little press tour so yeah now that's cool yeah uh okay so yeah i get to see them uh you know pretty much it was it was a nice ballpark it was our first new one right off the bat out of the out of the out of the box then uh we went to harrisburg 
on Sunday. We returned back. My buddy lives in Harrisburg. So we were leaving, you know, already we're close to Wilmington. It was an hour drive instead of five for us. So, you know, we uh, went and hung out and watched, uh, watched Harrisburg get their first loss of the year. Now, if you have checked the schedule or checked the standings, though, they've only lost seven games this year. Yeah. And we were there for one of them. So <laughs> it was kind of a little quirk in the schedule. We also got to see Bowie. Well, Bowie's a team that beat them. They've only won six games. Well, for seven, they won today against Altoona. So, yeah, it was kind of like we saw a rarity in, in that game. Uh, then we went to the Altoona home opener. Um, that was a that was a pretty interesting game because they wound up going to extra innings. And I I know you talked on your show on the podcast about the uh, the extra inning rules and stuff. And I don't know if you found the same thing that I found. But they start out with a guy on second base in in extra innings. You, you wind up with the guy. The first guy bunts him over. The next guy hits a sack fly, and you'd score a run right off the bat. So the, the, that's happened in this game. They wound up getting each got a run in the eleventh. And it went uh, to the thir- or went to the thirteenth inning, and uh, Altoona wound up walking it off. So it was an interesting game, but I'm not real crazy about the over uh, the extra inning thing because it seems right. like they do the same stuff. So anyhow, uh, you know, then uh, then we went on our big trip. We went to our it's our semi big trip. It's five five games in five days. Yeah, yes. uh, we wound up we wound up going. We started out in Dayton. Uh, it was my birthday. It was like uh, it was a, the Wednesday before Easter. And so my kid was off of school Thursday and Friday. I had Friday off. I took off, uh, took a couple of days vacation and went out there. We checked out the uh, Air Force Museum up in uh, day, up in Dayton. And then we also went to check out the Wright Brothers Flying Center and stuff. And I went to a Dragons game, which was really cool. That, uh, that ballpark was really nice. Um, very similar to Lansing, which is where we wound up the following night. The ballparks are kind of similar with having uh, apartments out in the outfield and a lot of extra seating around not necessarily your traditional seats and stuff. They have like picnic tables and lots of places, you know, around the ballpark you can set aside from in your seat. Uh, let's see. The Lansing game, there were two games back to back Lansing and great lakes. And we took, uh, I bought the tickets when they went on sale. So I wound up getting, <clears throat> they have, uh, they both have club boxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They have a limited number thing, of tables right? and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're like, I don't know if that's considered premium seating, but you're, you're indoors. I'm going to Michigan in April. And after freezing in Erie last year, I learned my lesson. <laughs> right. Spend the money. <laughs> so we bought a table at both of them. Uh, the one in Lansing was an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, so we had, like, all you know, all the food. But it was also their um, – some of the promotions they ran. They ran a purge night. So the purge night had uh, free concessions for one half inning, which, you know, you can kind of go one of two ways. The home team comes up and gets out real quick. All right, maybe you don't save it. Well, this night – they wound up giving up four runs in the inning. Uh, the Ryan Gold, one of their players, I wound up hitting for the cycle. He, he's usually their catcher. I guess he DH that night. He wound up hitting for the cycle in that game. Hit a grand slam in the sixth inning. The purge night, purge inning. The purge inning lasted like thirty eight minutes. So oh, no, they, they probably took a bath on that pretty well. But you know, the cold weather kind of kept kind of kept a lot of people away. It wasn't it wasn't a packed house, but there was like a lot of college kids there, and you know, I'm pretty good atmosphere. And Matt Matt really liked that. He enjoyed. He enjoyed the all-you-could-eat buffet. I think he went mostly for the ice creams, but you know that's kind of the way he operates. Right. I mean, I don't blame um, him, but okay. Yes. Yeah, so then the following night was a Good Friday. We wound up going up to Great Lakes, um, the Great Lakes Loon, up to the Dell Diamond. And the people in Lansing told me, they said, oh, well, that place is really nice. That that team has all the money that, you know, Dell Chemical puts a lot of money into their thing. And then you look at their Dodgers minor league team, so you also have – you know, the Dodger money coming in, but it was a really fantastic ballpark. I enjoyed that one the, probably the most out of the ones that we went to on that trip because 
they they sort of like pulled out all the stops. They had people come, you know, we were in that little that little area where the bar was. The bartender kept coming over and you know asking if we needed anything. We met um, their in-game host uh, Ashley. She came up and we got a picture taken with her. And they brought they the mascots were brought up and yeah, just a very they took they took pretty good care of us. So I, I enjoyed that. I would definitely be going back to that ballpark. Love to go back in the summertime and see what it's like. But they have their entire concourse is enclosed, so you can like they have like glass doors that you can slide open in the summertime, but they're closed when it's when it's really cold like that. So the doors were all closed, and they had a nice, you know, area to walk through and stuff, and you could see the game from anywhere you were. Oh, that's a pretty smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering, like, yeah, how they, do y'all survive sitting out there in the freezing cold? But that's a good way <laughs> to do it. They definitely, they definitely know know where they're at. I, I, I looked at it and went, yeah, that's you know, that's it. They they know how to how to keep everybody happy for you know, the, especially April and May are usually like cold and wet. So uh, then the following day, speaking of cold and wet, we went to we picked up left early in the morning to get from Midland, which is like uh, northern part of Michigan, down to Fort Wayne. And as we got there, it was rained out, so wound up you know hanging around the ballpark for I don't know two hours till they decided to cancel the game, which. I don't know why it took that long, but nonetheless. Right. <laughs> so the next day we woke up and went, went down to the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway down in Indy. So we took a tour of the, of the speedway, got pictures on the track and did all that kind of stuff. So now Matt's been to like, I think, five racetracks. He's took laps at Talladega, Bristol, and Indianapolis. So, you know, no, no, no it's not a racing show, but it's kind of nah, like, yeah, Right, exactly. You, 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 well, you're, where you're going to these places, you see what else is around. So Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I want to, yeah, I wound up going to Victory Field, which was a really nice ballpark too. We were we were there for Easter, so you had to kind of look at the schedule. And there's only like I don't know, ten or fifteen games that were played on Easter because everybody played seemed played doubleheaders on Saturday and stuff. So we wound up in Indianapolis for for Easter Sunday, and you know had a had a good day there. Great sun. I uh, got to see a bunch of players that we uh, saw coming through in Altoona and stuff. Uh, got got uh, Clay Holmes got his autograph and stuff. Saw him there. He signed all the cards we had and stuff. Uh, so that was a that was a pretty good time. Um, got to see Mitch Keller pitch. He was a, one of the Pirates' top pitching prospects. He wound up striking out uh, eight eight batters in six innings. So that was pretty good. Oh wow! And also got to see uh, Josh Van Meter, the uh, prospect for the uh, he was playing for Louisville. Prospect for the Reds. He he has 13 home runs in a year. I guess he got called up to Cincinnati. So we got to see him play before he got called up. So that was kind of cool. <clears throat> and then. Uh, that, that, that was the exciting part of our trip. <laughs> then we went back, we wound up going back to Altoona on the 27th for their, uh, they had a neck pillow day, which had the neck pillow goes around, you know, it goes around, it's kind of curved and they've got one that has like the Google, Google maps version of the, uh, horseshoe curve on it. Oh yeah. So you, you pick, yeah, you pick up, you know, they've got a neck pillow and it's got the, the train tracks going around your head. It's just, it was a pretty neat little promo promo that I, you know, I was like, I gotta have one of those. So we made it down there for that. And then, uh, this past weekend, we went to, we did one of our two city double headers, which is one of our sort of our specialties for like when we pick up and try and find a couple games that are close together. And it wasn't like the warmest time of season to do that, but uh, we wound up going up to Buffalo. So it was an overcast day in Buffalo. Got to see Lehigh Valley play Buffalo. Um, that was a, that was a pretty good game. And then we went uh, wound up going down to Erie and seeing the, the number one draft pick from last year's uh, draft, the Casey Myers was pitching first. Uh, Oh, this kid, he, home start. he's our player of the week uh, this week. Yeah. This kid is yep. an unbelievable. Yeah, he, shut, he no hit my curve on his first major league start. And I almost went to that game. I was telling people work. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to go see him pitch. Yeah. Didn't go. And then he throws a no hitter. I'm like, ah, you know, that's my luck. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty much what we got so far. We got a lot of stuff lined up for, 
for later on in the year. We have to go back to Fort Wayne now because of because uh, of the rain out. So we want to pick up tickets for July 5th. So I think we're going to hit Columbus on the 4th of July, and that'll take that one off. And then uh, now you'll with Columbus, miss, you'll miss me by a few weeks, man. I think I'm going to be there July 13th or 14th. Okay, it will be in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We're going to be crisscrossing. We're heading down to heading down to Jacksonville then. But uh, yeah, it's like we're going to try and get like once we get Buffalo and Columbus out of the way, we now like got rid of. We have to drive through an entire state to get to a place we haven't been to. So <laughs> right, we're, we're we're kind of knocking them down. And uh, you know, I think our goal was to get to twenty new stadiums this year. I want to get to get to all of them before he before Matt graduates and stuff. So. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to have to plan out some – there's going to be a California trip. There's got to be a Florida trip somewhere. In there, and a but, South Texas trip. And a Texas trip. Well, we're, look, we're eyeballing that for next year. We're kind of looking to see what, what all is out that way. Because, <laughs> yeah, the three down near you, I, they're definitely on the, the – especially Corpus Christi. I'd really like to, like to see that before the bridge goes down. But eh, we'll see what happens. Well, I, I definitely want to be your host. And uh, can we get you back on in a couple of weeks to see where we're at? I feel like we're doing oh, absolutely. like where in the world is the baseball traveler. <laughs> yeah well we're picking up we're picking up some followers we had people come up and talk to us at the games so i've always enjoyed doing that and uh we seem to get more people coming up and talking to us at, at visiting ballparks than we do at our, our two home parks so i don't I can't quite figure that one out but yeah we always enjoy talking to people especially about baseball There's the minor league baseball thing i, I hear that the major league um major league people are having trouble you know drawing in crowds i guess the attendance is going down and stuff like that but minor league baseball just seems to be getting stronger and stronger so that's kind of a good sign plus it kind of tells you people know a know a good deal when they when they see it absolutely absolutely well ken thanks again for being on uh let's get to and give matt a high five for me and i want him to know that every single time i talk about the astros i'm shouting him out for the life of this show (laughs) he he started he got he got the biggest eyes when we were listening we were listening to it on the trip up to buffalo his eyes got really big i'm like yeah he's talking about you buddy he's like oh so yeah he Kind of had he had a better look than he had. I don't know if you happened to catch the uh, the the pictures from uh, the Dude Perfect night where that was on last night that debuted on uh, Nickelodeon. Yeah. He there he has his face big as all outdoors and everybody at work was like, yeah, that's pretty much what you described. He's just eating a hamburger and shaking his head. So, yeah, <laughs> right. it was a it was a pretty cool thing. So well, Ken, thanks again for being on the show this week. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. For our promotions this week, we're going to go ahead and just stay in the Midwest League and look at some of the cool promotions some of the teams are having. So tomorrow night, May 10th, that is the night to get out to the West Michigan Whitecaps. First of all, the most famous amphibian in the world is going to be there. Kermit the Frog will be making an appearance at Muppets Night. He's going to be taking photos with kids along with other fun Muppet-themed activities. There's going to be a fire twirler, which is something you don't even joke about having in Austin. So, uh, well, I guess you can now. It's so wet. But normally, no. So a really cool fire twirler. There's Beaker Flare Hair Giveaway, which I think, again, has to tie back into the Muppets. And a really cool teacher appreciation night, which I love that so many teams are doing this, offering discounted tickets to teachers, opportunity to get away from school and the grind, especially in May. As a guy who teaches film, let me tell you, May's a long month. The next night, the the Whitecaps are also going to have Nurses Night. The next night, May 11th, is Nurses Night. So all nurses get a ticket and a really cool Nurses Night t-shirt. And it is super, super cool. It's got kind of a syringe with the Whitecaps logo in it. Again, like going back to what we talked about in an earlier segment, I love everything the West Michigan Whitecaps 
are doing, and we really want to get them on the show. So May 14th, the Peoria Snappers are going to do their first responders and veterans night. So veterans can receive up to four tickets, $3 each. And as a vet, that's a, that's a super good deal. And the next night, this is my favorite thing ever. They have Bang for Your Buck Wednesdays, dollar hot dogs, popcorn, and ice cream sandwiches. And they're also going to be doing their teacher appreciation night that night too. On May 9th, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers are going to be celebrating their 25th anniversary with a 25th anniversary baseball. What's One of the things that's really kind of cool that we've not seen a lot of is the Kane County Cougars are having a reading club parade. So they have a book club and they're going to be having a parade of students from over 400 local schools going through the outfield. And they'll be doing that on May the 8th and the 9th. And finally, the Burlington Bees. Dance Like a Chicken Night will be on May 14th. Now, I grew up going to a lot of Polish weddings, and definitely the chicken dance was um, high, was a highlight of the night. And, and I would like to see it elevated. So, you know, Burlington, you'll have to let us know if this happens. I don't want to just see the chicken dance. I want to see people doing the different chicken dances from Arrested Development. That is your challenge, Burlington, and I know you can meet it. now the big league chew and i on the majors all right so we're back with the big league chew and we are back with the main man behind the big league chew the jaws of the big league chew if you will mr scott mcintyre scott first of all let's talk you know what we're gonna do what are we gonna do we are gonna talk i'm gonna let you talk for two minutes about your st louis blues and go oh my gosh all I can say is if you're a Blues fan, fan, then playing Gloria by Laura Branigan is everything you've ever wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, I, had no, I had no idea you were going to give me this chance uh, here. I witnessed quite possibly the best game in St. Louis Blues history last night in person uh, when my Blues beat the Dallas Stars 2-1 to one whoa, in whoa, double whoa. overtime. You didn't tell me it was against the Stars. Okay, go ahead. Never mind. It's fine. It's no, fine. no, no, no. Yeah, it's against the Dallas Stars. And if you're a Dallas Stars fan listening, I posted this publicly to other Dallas Stars fans, so I don't feel ashamed saying this. You are the best European soccer team in the NHL. Your ability to flop is second <laughs> to none. I am so impressed by your ability to take uh, minor pushes and make it look like someone just absolutely cracked you in the back of the head with a baseball bat. Amazing. Uh, no, but the Blues win 2-1 last night. Um, Pat Maroon, who is a hometown guy, he, he went to high school in St. Louis. He came back on a one-year contract, and he scores the game-winning goal in double overtime against uh, arguably the best goalkeeper in, in, or goaltender in the NHL and Ben Bishop uh, with the Stars, who, who who made 52 of 54 saves, which is ridiculous. Um but play Gloria, the Blues are marching in, and then tonight we find out if we have San Jose or, or Colorado. I think I kept it under two minutes. I gave it a shot. Uh, you actually you kept it under two minutes. Um, so that so yeah, you know we, we were for those of uh, those of you out there who don't know uh, the two main creators of the show, along with myself, uh, we kind of have a running text message thing, and we'll sort of just text random things about the sports we were at, and I didn't really fully grasp because. And this is a conversation for another time. Uh, I had my worst ever Major League Baseball going experience last night in which mm. I was soaking wet. 
I didn't end up finally making it to my seats, the most expensive seats I've ever purchased, by the way, until the seventh inning. Oh, my gosh. Even though I was in the park starting in the third. Jim, that's brutal. And uh, then to sit down and see that the same pitcher I'd seen give up 10 runs against the Rangers gave up six, I'm sorry, eight to the Kansas City Royals and the Astros lost to the worst team in baseball last night. So I'm glad you had a good sports night, but let's talk a little bit about the major, about major league baseball right now. Um, You know, I don't know how much can change in a week, but can anything change in a week in May? You you know, um, I I think confidence, I think confidence can, uh, can, can change a lot. And you know, the, the NL East, uh, and the track that the Nats are on right now, the the Nationals, you know, who were my pick, honestly, to win the East in spite of losing Bryce Harper, are really trending. And I'm I'm kind of surprised at that, but I'm also surprised that in the East, the Phillies are the only team over 500. It, that's not just attributable because they're they're beating each other up. I, I think that has a, um, you know, I expected the standings in the East to look a lot more like the standings look right now in the NL Central. And it's not doing that. It's not doing that. Um, so I, 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 the Phillies are really poised uh, with a three-game lead on the Braves right now to just absolutely take off if these other teams don't catch up. <laughs> well, I think so, what's but, funny too about this Phillies thing, and it's not because of Bryce Harper. Like that doesn't look. That's not looking like the best signing at this point. No, it's totally not. I, I watched Bryce Harper have, have some. Big troubles um, Monday night against against the Cardinals. Um, they've so the majors have, you know, it takes very little time for these guys to identify a weak spot or a trend and pitch you there. And and what they've identified with Harper right now is breaking stuff in on him for right-handed pitchers and and fastballs up. You can set him up going backwards in in the count by throwing your breaking stuff and getting him to chase one and getting his eyes down low and then bringing high heat on him. Um, it, it's a formula that's working right now for for again for the pitchers against Harper and and it's one that is it appears to be trending. Um, you know, he's got to make some changes. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, I think it's interesting too if we take a macro look at Bryce Harper. He did not hit well last year, and everybody kind of attributed it to the pressure of the upcoming free agency. I think it's what you've said that they have figured him out. Like if you had to pick, if you had to pick Harper, Machado, or Trout, my my pick would be Trout, Machado, Harper, and in that order. Uh, I, I agree as far as talent goes. I completely agree with that order as far as talent goes. Uh, I'm still not 100 percent sure that Manny Machado, when he loses interest, uh, is still a good team player. Uh, I. I uh, but based on talent, I completely agree with the order you've got that in. I do think the Padres might be my surprising team of the National League, though. I think they play with a lot of grit, man. And uh, I've been listening to a bunch of their games, and, and that sort of walk-off grand, grand slam against the Dodgers the other day was pretty incredible. Yeah, they're not going away, are they? They're they're just kind of hanging around. And, you know, the D-backs are, are, are there, too, in that division, which is – really surprising to me as well. Uh, but yeah, the Padres, uh, this could be one of those teams where, you, where you're expecting them to come of age in a year or two. And they show up a little bit early uh, that, that happened with the Braves last year. So that might happen. And if, if, if you know, going back to Manny Machado, if he stays interested, uh, the Padres can, can do an, an awful lot. Um, and, and I think, you really have to look at the pitching staff top to bottom. You know, you and I have had a conversation a little bit earlier this week 
uh, about pitching staffs and pitch uh, pitch counts and, and how many pitcher batters they have to face and all that. But the bottom line is starting pitching, it just does not mean as much as it used to mean. I mean, the leader in complete games last year, a few guys had two. Yeah. So it, it's really about having guys that can come in to situational um, experiences and get you a few outs and then go to the next guy and, and do it night after night after night. And that's just, it, it boggles my mind when I start to think about it. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago. There were, I think there were 42 complete games thrown in all of Major League Baseball last year. A hundred years ago, Ed Walsh threw 42 by himself, by the right. way. Right, yeah, But yeah, still, yeah. Uh, but it was just less than 20, it was right at 20 years ago when, when Kurt Schilling was throwing a dozen or 15. You know, it, baseball has changed so much in the realm of pitching. And so some of these teams, maybe when we're looking at them, we're valuing the starting pitching a little too much. And it just doesn't matter as much in making projections. Maybe that's what we're seeing because the twins are blowing me away in, in the AL Central as well. Yeah, I mean, but I think uh, one of the really handsome hosts of the show picked the twins to win the Central. Oh, that was me. Um so not he is really the best so, looking guy on the show. He is the best looking guy. On I mean, the let's show, be honest. Sure. Ostensibly, I am. All the saber metrics point to this direction. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I, you know, it, for as much as it was painful, you know, I do think a constitutional amendment should be passed uh, that baseball should not be played colder than fifty three degrees. Um, watching, I, I swear to God, when I watching the the Astros series against the Twins, those last two games, they looked like they were just trying to get that thing as quick as possible and get on a plane to Monterey. At one point, Altuve was so wrapped up that only ground balls hit directly toward him were going to get fielded, and I think he was okay with that. You know, it's a, it's a very interesting point. Um, when you have teams up north that play outdoors, early in the year and late in the year, the postseason, that temperature can make a world of difference. I, I don't care who you are. If, if if you've been playing in Miami or indoors in Houston, if you've been playing in a warm climate or Chavez Ravine, Vince Scully used to say, yeah. um, if yeah. you've been playing in, in those places and you're comfortable and then suddenly you're you know, in Detroit, you're in Minnesota and it's cold that or Boston or any of these, that's, that's hard, man. That hands rattle. The ball doesn't feel the same. Yeah. It, it's got a different texture. Um, and, and honestly, if you're about to catch on a plane for Monterey, Mexico, do you really want to be in Minneapolis? You to begin do with? not. You do not. Nothing uh, against Minneapolis. I actually love St. Paul, but still, I, I want the warmth. I want the I'm warmth, human. but I would love to go watch the Astros play in Minneapolis in, in May, uh, in, in, in mid-June. That'd be great. Uh, so let's yeah. talk a little bit about the Mexico series. I don't know how much of you got a chance to watch, but I know that we've had four games. And like, what are your thoughts on that? And do you see that as heading – like, do you see MLB putting a team down in Mexico at some point? I could see them putting a minor league team there to start with, you know, a double A or a triple A. Uh, I could, I could see, and it wasn't that long ago that I, that actually was the case, you know, 50, 40, 50 years ago that they actually tinkered with that a little bit. I, I see that starting there, actually putting a team there uh, before you're, you're doing a, an entire major league team there. I don't think the fan base is there to fully support it. I think that stadium if if memory serves, holds like twenty twenty five. Oh yeah, I think it's actually under that, Scott. I think it's like nineteen thousand. So oh, uh, it's under that. Yeah, okay. I I didn't. I, I knew it was low. So for that, I think it's nice to make that trip. I think it's great that that uh, Major League Baseball is playing 
uh, across three continents this year um, or, or coming up. You, know, you got the, the London games, the Mexico games, the Japan games. These are good. That's good stuff. Good stuff to have. I don't think you can support a team there right now. And, and it does come back to economy and, and whether we like it or not here, here in the States, we do have the economic means to support some really expensive salaries for our entertainment guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, and speaking of that, and this might be a good uh, area to kind of wind the, 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 the piece down on, we have some breaking news that apparently officials with uh, MLB are, and some folks that are in charge of building stadiums have been visiting Nashville. Uh, this just, this just broke just now. So maybe baseball coming to Nashville. Uh, what do you think about that? I think Nashville is a huge booming town. Um, so between the Titans, the Titans get major support. The Predators get incredible support, although I still don't understand why in the world they're throwing catfish on the ice. Nashville can support a major league team. I have absolutely no doubt in that. There is a summer gap because you have the NFL and you have the NHL in Nashville. There's not a reason in the world with that city that's absolutely growing and on the right track and an incredible nightlife. Uh, absolutely, I think it's brilliant to bring uh, Major League Baseball to Nashville. I don't know where they move it from, but I think moving it to Nashville is great. Okay, so let's talk, let's talk about that. So here's the big here's the big the rig rumor, right? Is that they want to get to eventually 32 teams to make the schedule more balanced. And so, what are some other cities you'd like to see? And I think that we can we I think we can look at the obvious cult the obvious excuse me candidates for relocation you know i think your tampa bays could be moved yeah. uh, i thought I, you liked get, watching games at costco Field. Uh, no i actually sorry. drove past that thing and i really wanted to go buy just a bunch of toilet paper uh anyway but <laughs> in bulk in bulk so where, but where are some other cities you think would be good mlb cities and do you think montreal gets a team again uh san antonio is interesting just simply because of the populace there but it, it is close to other uh, other towns so I'm not sure if that would be in impingement oh I would love all. it I would love 19 you know 10 more opportunities to see the Astros in driving distance Are you kidding me bring it on <laughs> I um, nostalgically I'm I'm really disappointed that baseball is only in Toronto and not Montreal um, so I, I've got to think about Montreal uh, as well Um Outside of, of those two, I don't know, you know, some of the other, you, you hear about Salt Lake, uh, wanting, Salt Lake City wanting uh, sports there. Um, you know, is there, is there a major league team currently in Miami? I, I can't, oh no, there is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> hey, they got a again, badass new logo, man. I'm not going to lie. That, their, their new no, uniforms the, are sharp. <laughs> yeah, I, so those are the... Um, those are the places that, that that really jump out to me. I mean, what about you? What, what are your? Uh, I've I've heard Portland a lot, and I love that idea. Yeah. I've heard Charleston, you know, near where the Panthers are and stuff. So, um, I I like the idea of Charleston 30. or Charlotte. Charleston or Charlotte. Oh, I think Charlotte actually, not Charleston. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. thought about that, but that's true. Yeah. Um, but, but I, what I like about some of that is the the the. The, hypo- the hypothetical split schedules that I've seen, I really kind of dig. Like I dig the idea of a division that basically becomes Houston, the Rangers, the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Royals, and that becomes a division um, to make traveling and scheduling easier. You know, because because we joke when we're watching Astros games on the West Coast, coast they, they sarcastically call it Astros after dark, and they get really like, and now Astros after dark because. 
the game started at 930, you know, and, and that's tough to watch 30 or 40 games a year starting at 930. So especially if it goes extra innings and at two o'clock in the morning, you're just like, OK, someone. Oh, my students, my students hate it because I watch every in- inning and then come come to school grumpy. But <laughs> I, I think that's interesting. I, I do think if that type of realignment happens, um, it <clears throat> what will go along with that is they will institute the DH across the board. And and next week, I would love to talk about the the DH being instituted across the board and how this rule that a batter has, a pitcher has to face three batters in an inning, how those two things are tied together. Sigh. Okay, we would definitely do it. Um, so Scott, thanks for hopping on the show and and, and, and that's really good radio. You've left a tease to bring everybody back next week. So that's that's good. That's savvy. Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. So we're excited to join on our Go Go Astros segment, one of the most, I think, knowledgeable and just even-tempered and really, really articulate Astros fans that I've known, Mr. Andy Tomchesson. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you pronouncing my last name correctly. Uh, editor's note, we're related, so it's fine. Um, yeah, um... So we're we're about a month into the season. Overall, what are your take on the 2019 Astros? Um, things could be worse. Uh, it, you know, with a three-game lead in the division um, and nobody else really identifying as a, a big threat so far, uh, the Astros are set up well. And before the um, Royals debacle last night on the 7th, we were second in the league in run differential, which is, you know, at this point, the best stat I think you can go on. Uh, we're beating people by a lot more than we're losing people to, and we're scoring a lot more runs than we're allowing. So that last night, notwithstanding is a pretty good sign. Um, with, there's some holes, there's some areas of concern. Some things I think will take care of themselves. Some things I think, um, the Astros management team is going to have to address directly and probably, you know, within the, by the end of the month, certainly by the July, uh, July, um, 31st trade deadline, but uh, overall, I think it's a positive place, good place in the, uh, certainly good place in the division, good place in the league, um, and only can really go up from here. So let's talk about some of the good stuff before we talk about some of the bad stuff. You know, we've had a couple of free agent signings, and I and I do think, you know, the media is trying to, to uh, pitch the Brantley signing as this under-the-radar thing, but I think everybody in baseball thought that was a steal, so... I don't think you can say that's under the radar, but the Chirino signing really has worked out well for the Astros considering what we were told we were getting. Well, you know, I, I read a couple of articles about how Michael Brantley, um, you know, nobody knew what they were getting and I'm not sure where they were coming from. Um, and Chirino's has been a huge surprise. He is one of uh, five players right now with an OPS of more than 900. And if you would have, you know, had me place money on that uh, prior to the season or in January, uh, I certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have put money on that. Um, and you have another one, Josh Reddick, just that 838, um, just tearing the cover off the ball when he gets to play. It's weird at this point of the season when you think offensively your biggest concern is uh, former MVP and uh, perennial all-star Jose Altuve. Yeah, and what is – what, you know, uh, the – what is your your level of concern over that? Because I, I I would say, from my perspective, my biggest concern is power out of the DH spot 
And let's be honest, like first base has been a bit of a hole. But let's talk about Altuve for a second. What is your overall concern for him, and 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 where do you think he ends up in October? Well, you know the old school stat batting average. Um, I don't think he's going to continue to hit two thirty seven for the year. I, I don't think he's built that way. What I do think has happened is that he's traded uh, a little bit of average for a little bit of power, and so far the returns haven't been superb. They've been okay. Um, and that 237 does jump out at you, but he's still getting on base 32% of the time. That's probably where he's lagging the most. If he could get on base 350 plus, 370 plus, um, he's slugging 481, uh, playing incredible defense. Um, it's just a matter of getting on base more and being a table setter for Brantley, for, um, Correa, um, and then the surprising, um, Torinos. Yeah, so Trino again, Trinos. Uh, what is what is, what is your thought about the first base uh, position right now with Gurriel and and his his hitting this year? Um, last year I was able to give him you know just mentally a lot of leeway because when you break that hammock bone, um, power is kind of the last thing to come back. And he was still hitting in the two seventy to two ninety range for most of the season after he came back from the injury. Um, this and like four hundred with runners in scoring position, right? Like that right. was his thing, yeah. And if you could look past the fact that he continually hits into um, that double play ball, double play situations, um, I mean, like continually, like one one a game at least, um, you could live with it. But this year, you know, he's this is his age thirty five playing year, and I'm just kind of wondering if it's the time where you're going to see that natural regression of uh, bat speed um, and the ability to barrel up on balls. Um, you know, it's still early in the season, so that may be unfair of me to say, but the trend doesn't look great for him right now. And at age 35, it's not like he's going to get better, if that makes sense. So fans shouldn't be shocked that uh, Jordan Alvarez has been working out at first base a little bit in Round Rock. And that's, you know, ultimately, I know they've tried to play him in left field um, most of last year, as a matter of fact. And that's still where he's getting the majority of his at-bats. But he looks for all the world like a first-base DH type. And I think, you know, if you had a perfect world, if you were designing the Astros, and if I had, you know, to peek into Jeff Luno's brain a little bit, um, Brantley is eventually your DH. Tucker's playing left field, and Alvarez is playing first base. Now, when all that happens, um, and certainly – Alvarez needs to continue to perform and Tucker needs to pick it up. Although his numbers have been a lot better um, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's, you know, Gurriel probably doesn't have a long-term future with the club. And, you know, what we've gotten out of Gurriel, um, obviously a world series, he attract his brother um, who is in the, I believe the blue Jays system to come play um, in Houston. And that didn't work out, but even that, being a little bit of a disappointment, you've gotten a professional hitter, a guy who um, handles fastballs, a guy who up until, you know, this early part of this year um, hits with runners in scoring position. He's been a pleasant surprise and, and he could still turn around this year, but I think, that, you know, ultimately the clock's ticking on him. Yeah. And I think uh, the thing with Lenau that we need to realize too, is I really believe his focus is going to keep you know, keeping the core of Bregman, Cray, and Springer. Well, I guess Bregman is signed, but Cray and Springer and adding them to Altuve and Bregman. And so that means you, you probably wouldn't see an extension or another contract for Gurriel anyway, honestly. Yeah, and his age and what they want to do, um, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, I mean, 
They could certainly use, and you know, switching gears to the pitching staff, they could certainly use somebody with Dallas Keuchel's ability to eat innings, but he's got a price and he's got, he's got a budget, and um, he's not really demonstrated that he has any desire to go above those budget numbers, and so far it's worked out for him. Well, you know, and speaking of the pitching staff, so I'm a big, you know, believer in when a sample size is too small, you don't necessarily need to talk about it. You know, I think like Altuve's average, he's got what, maybe 120 at bats. So that, that can change it. That can change really in a, in a, a really good week, a, a really good week, you know, for him could change those numbers. But we're looking at Colin McHugh now, four straight outings of which I was at two of them. So that might be coloring my perspective in which he's just gotten shelled. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to, defend uh at this point the first four starts were outstanding era south of one and a half um went three and one um and looked like he had it under control um and was able to dominate similar to the way he dominated at the bullpen last year and i don't know if he's tipping pitches i don't know if the league is caught up with him i don't know if his arm is tired it could be a combination of all those things but he's just looked bad i, I mean it's not like it's been close Last night, um, through, I think, his pitching appearance, he gave up um, so many hits, and every single one of them was an uh, extra base hit. I think at some point it was two homers, two doubles, a triple, um, and three walks. And even against the worst team in the league, which is who the Astros were playing last night, you can't pitch like that. You can't just be throwing 85 mile an hour meat up at the middle of the plate when your you know slider doesn't slide and your changeup just hangs. It's tough. Yeah, I do wonder if he's not had that ability to bounce back and forth. You know, like Peacock has been so good about being able to go from the pen to starting, and I do. I gotta wonder if you know if if that's not part of the issue. Uh, what about your? Do you have a concern for Peacock? Um, you know, ultimately, I think if it were me. I'd love to see McHugh and Peacock back in the bullpen, but that means you've got to come up with two more starters from somewhere. Um, one name that I think probably should be on the radar sooner rather than later, and probably sooner, is maybe not who you'd be thinking of, but uh, Brady Rogers, um, who has the advantage of already being on the 40-man roster um, and is pitching really, really well in Round Rock. And, if, you know, a lot of your – I know a lot of the focus on this podcast is minor league baseball – I think everybody's seen that um, AAA has adopted the Major League Baseball, the actual ball, um, and the home run numbers, the offense numbers have have a similar correspondence to what they have in Major Leagues right now. And you look at somebody like Corbin Martin, who is outstanding right now um, in four starts. He's got a 1.48 ERA and only given up one homer. Brady's not that far behind. And again, he has the advantage of being on the 40-man roster, but putting up a 2.75 ERA with um, 25 strikeouts in 36 innings, not a high strikeout guy, but certainly enough to get the attention and uh, maybe eat some innings and be a little bit more consistent, although I don't know how hard it would be. I I guess being consistent isn't a huge problem because he's consistently bad. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, you're right. Um, being somebody who being somebody who can throw throw some innings, um, rest the bullpen, which uh, you know, frankly, is going to be a question mark because two of your better bullpen pieces are starting pitchers this year. Yeah, I do think that's the thing when you can find those spots, and and I don't think I don't think Lunau thought that we were going to roll through September with uh, Peacock and McHugh 
as starting pitchers. I think the plan had always been for whether from within or trade. You know, the guy I'm intrigued by is Marcus Stroman. I haven't really followed him this year so much. Um, but to your point well, about the ball, it, it does actually explain why Force Whitley's been all over the place because there are times when he's been brilliant and on times when that when you know the PCL is a hitter's league and people are people are already starting to press the panic button on Whitley and I think they need to wait on that. Well, I mean that's just silly. That's the same. I, I would guess that's the same group of people who've given up on Tucker. Yeah, and Tucker started to rake. So yeah, it all feels good. Which, I mean. Not to jump all around, but Kyle Tucker has demonstrated at every level that he starts off slow and then picks it up. Um, and he is probably one of the better adjusters. And to judge him on, what, 82 plate appearances last year? Uh, it, I mean, it's the same as judging Altuve on his 130 plate appearances so far this year. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's fascinating, too, because you know the Astros front office have built this thing with a very specific mindset that led to the first World Series of the franchise. And yet so many people want to abandon that mindset for quick fixes that will ultimately leave you with no foundation. And I, I, I think we've talked about this before. I prefer to kind of just I, keep keep the ship moving in the right direction. And I think you'll see something more like – you might not see a Golden State Warrior situation, but you might see something more like a San Antonio Spurs situation where every couple of years they pop up and win a title. Well, not that I can stand them, but and I know one of your frequent guests is a big fan, but I'd love to be a, a franchise like the Cardinals, where you are in it every year, um, or most years, and, and to the point of you know 80% of the time you're in contention for a playoff spot. In baseball, I think more than any other sport, once you get in the playoffs, literally anything can happen over that series of games. Um, but you've got to get there first, and so – Certainly having the wild card as open as it is helps with that matter. But if you can be in the division, you can have home field through at least one round every year um, and be that team that's just consistently there. It not only, you know, brings more money in, which means you can afford better players, but it also means you can put more money into development. You can um, keep players who do well for you. You don't have to choose, and I'm not saying the Astros are doing this, but for example, choose between um, George Springer and Carlos Correa in a couple of years. Um, you could, you know, theoretically afford to sign both. Um, and then, you know, we'll see how all that goes. But um, that, that's where I'd like to see the franchise head. And I think that that's what Lunau's mission is. And he comes from that Cardinals organization where yeah. that's what they did. Well, uh, last question then. And one of the things that, you know, uh, for those of you who aren't privy to our internet conversations, you're very, like a, like I said, you're very uh, just pragmatic, patient guy when it comes to this stuff. And we always talk about when is it time to push the panic button? And let's use like the Red Sox, for example. When, if you're a Red Sox fan, when do you start really getting worried? I mean, the Red Sox are in a tough situation because they're, you know, they, they've rebounded a little bit. Um, with a 7-3 and three in their last 10, they're almost at 500. But their pitching has problems. Um, sale is not sale. David Price is on the DL, or excuse me, the IL. Huh, um, right. Who knows what they'll change to next year. Um, and their run differential, again, at this early point in the season is zero, which means they are, you know, a little bit below league at, or right at league average, if you trust that metric. Um I think they're going to have to find some more pitching because the pitching plans they've made are not great. 
And from what I know of their farm system, they've pretty much sold it off to win the World Series last year, which good for them. I mean, that's ultimately the goal, right, is to win. Right. Um, there were many years um, that I would say I would happily be a Florida Marlins fan or have that kind of management <laughs> style applied to the Drayton McLean years because I'd have two World Series championships so I could handle being the worst team in the league in between those two years. Um, I don't think Boston's quite there, but you don't have a farm, so it's hard to deal. So the only way they're going to get healthy pitching or better pitching um, is to either be super patient or deal off some of their offensive players off the roster that they have now. And I don't know that they have the appetite to do that. So they're in a tough position, um, especially with Tampa Bay playing as well as they have so far and the Yankees seemingly getting out of their early season doldrums. So just in general then, you know, for for a fan of a team that's 500, at what point do you think they need to start considering becoming a seller or a buyer at the break? Like, I mean, I'm assuming it's not May 11th. No, I mean, the old baseball adage is, you know, at Memorial Day, um, what kind of team you're going to have. And realistically, I think that was true when there was one winner from um, each division or even prior to that when there was one winner from each um, league. Um now with the wild card, you're in contention for a lot longer. I mean, you talk about a team that like the Red Sox, um, they are almost a 500 team, but I think they're only two or three games out, or excuse me, a game and a half out of the last wild card spot. So is that a team in May, on May, um, what is this, May 9th, May 8th, that you're going to say is, well, they're hopeless, it's over. If you're Kansas City, you're her seller um, at this point. If you're Baltimore, if you had something to sell, you'd be a seller. I don't think anybody who is within a couple of games of 500 either way, and that includes right now the Angels, the Tigers, the White Sox, um, even Oakland to some extent. Um, I don't. I think a lot of teams still should rightfully feel they're in it. Uh, nobody has really run away with the lead in a division yet. Um, it's not like the Astros a couple of years ago where we're sitting, you know, 14 games up at the end of um, June. Uh, and maybe we get there, um, but I don't see a team running away with it yet until, you know, one of the big three gets hot. So we'll see. But to answer your question directly, it's super early to panic. Um, it's super early to not think that the plans that you made aren't going to work out, um, especially if you're a team like Houston that doesn't have injuries. They just have a couple of guys who they would like to see perform better, who have a history of performing better giving them a little bit of rope to perform better. The great thing about the Astros is they have guys in the minor leagues who could be valuable as replacements for some of those guys that are underperforming or a ticket for another starting pitcher uh, at the trade deadline or a better catcher or better backup catcher, at least. Um, (laughs) You mean the – Trina is good. Sassy is on my list of – along with Kemp and White of not sure why they're still on the roster other than um, waiting issues but um, i think that'll all be settled out within the next couple of months yeah i do i do in fact i think that the the one mistake maybe made is the is the whole shuffling with kemp and white because it's i think prevented having another middle reliever in the pen and i think you know that's why when people are complaining about aj leaving leaving and calling McHugh to give up 10 runs you can't burn the pen out when you've got 10 games in a row Right. And what feels like a like a lost game. So that would be very interesting. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, I, and I'd love to have you back on in a couple of weeks to kind of just have this be a recurring thing if you're into it. 
Well, sure, as long as we double the wins. So what do we need to be? We're six over now. Twelve over sounds good in a week. Yeah, Twelve hours sounds great for me, man. I'll talk to you later. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. Again, one of the best parts about minor league baseball is the branding, and we are excited to welcome Tony Enzor to the show. He is the president and general manager of the AA affiliate for the San Diego Padres, the Amarillo Sod Poodles. I've been following the Sod Poodles since it was announced Amarillo was going to be getting a team and really looked forward to having him on the show, and I'm very, very excited about it. Tony's been all over minor league baseball, was stints with the Colorado Spring Sky Sox, the Birmingham Barons, so many different teams all over the place. And so we're really, really excited to have Tony join the show. Thanks so much, Tony, for joining Let's Get Two. James, thanks for having us. Uh, it's exciting times here in Amarillo. Yeah, I, I really am, am so pumped. And I think part of the reason why I'm excited for you guys is – your social media game on getting this team announced. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a high school film teacher when I'm not making movies, and I definitely was watching the live broadcast while I should have been teaching last last year. So very congrats, congratulations. Um, I want to start with how did you end up being the GM of the Amarillo Sod Poodles? Well, you know, it's okay for you to take that little bit of time off for the reveal and all the different things because that was educational, right? So it's a, it's, it's a marketing plan that we, we've had for a while and, and stuck to it. And, and our, our social media team, just before we get into me, is, uh, and our, our digital marketing team have done a fantastic job of, uh, of keeping the community engaged really here in Amarillo and all over the state of Texas and really in the country. But, uh, hats off to them. They've done a tremendous job. But to answer your question, how did I become the GM? I've been in, uh, minor league baseball for a long time. I, I started out as a groundskeeper 30 years ago. Uh, the first night I ever went out onto a field to, uh, as, uh, I like to tell people, not only did I start on the ground floor of baseball, I actually helped to create the ground floor because I was a groundskeeper. Um, and I was the lowest man on the totem pole in, in groundskeeping, uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee when I started. But, you know, I just fell in love with the game and that was the first night, uh, ever walking out into a uh, professional minor league baseball field as we prep the field. Uh, then the gates open, you smell the hot dogs, the popcorn, you see the excitement on people's faces and, and the kids and families coming in. And for me, I was hooked from that moment on. So I've been doing this a long time. I, I've, I've worked, uh, I've run teams. Uh, I started in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Then I, I ran the Birmingham. I was in Birmingham for about uh, 15 years, ended up running that team for the last eight, and then moved to Colorado Springs. Birmingham was AA affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. Uh, then I moved on to Colorado Springs, which was the AAA affiliate of the Colorado Rockies for 10 years and the last four years with uh, – uh, with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. So uh, for me, it's a labor of love. I really enjoy what I'm doing. I was running the uh, AAA franchise in Colorado Springs, and, and my owners asked me to uh, take on this challenge of, of building a new franchise from the ground up. Uh, I know when I, I remember when I got here and uh, I started really transporting back and forth between Colorado Springs and Amarillo for uh, several months and then finally arrived here in June of uh, 2018. And, you know, from, from that moment on, it's, it's kind of been uh, a wild ride. We started with two employees. We now are around 27 to 30 employees and uh, just having a great time getting this thing going. So it was a challenge for us to take on. And as I told our staff, you know, this is a, this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to take something from nothing 
where you don't have a franchise. Professional baseball hasn't been, uh, I should say, professional affiliated baseball hasn't been to Amarillo in 37 years. And to be able to come to a community and begin something new uh, with two employees now up to you know 30 employees, not to have a stadium, to be building one, that's an amazing challenge. And, and we're all into it, and we just love what we're doing. We love the community and, and love the, and the excitement and engagement that Amarillo has provided us. Well, like you said, uh, you haven't had affiliated baseball in Amarillo in 37 years. I know that there's been pop-up uh, independent teams throughout, but there's been a lot of baseball, you know, going back to the 1920s. But how thirsty is that community for baseball? How excited are they? Well, you know, it's it's, it's so, such a unique place. There's there's there, it's such a great community. So much pride in this community, and so much uh, desire for this uh, this team and this community to be successful. I, I've never seen this kind of level of excitement before. I, it's something for us. You know, to, I I tell people this all the time. I'm pretty blessed to get to do what I do. I, I love coming to work. Like I said, I've been doing this for 30 plus years, but I love coming to work every day with my staff. They're young. They engage me. That get me excited about what I'm doing on a daily basis, but what the community has done and, and how they've they've embraced us and welcomed, welcomed this team and our staff and the Padres as well to the community is really second to none in the country. The, the, the excitement level, if you go scale of 1 to 10, it's a 15. Um, so I, I couldn't ask for a better community and, and more excitement from the community to see these professional athletes because you, you know uh, as well that I do, affiliated professional baseball our community is going to have a chance to see young San Diego Padre players, the top prospects, because the Texas League is one of the top prospect leagues in all of baseball, but specifically at the double-A level, everyone coming here as a prospect has a chance to go to the big league. So uh, the, the San Diego Padre double-A uh, team last year had four guys start with a team at double-A level, and by uh, July, August, they were in the big leagues. So it's great to be able to sense that excitement in the community. They know that they're going to be seeing future major league players here starting on April 8th, and, and that's really cool, too. It's a very knowledgeable community on baseball as well, and that's one thing I noted when I first got here. I do wish more people realized that when you go to a minor league park, it's good baseball. You're not seeing, you know, it's it's not like watching – I don't know, some of the pop-up alternative NF, uh, football leagues that, you know, and you can just see something like a lesser product. It's really, really good baseball at the double-A level, particularly, like you said, the Texas League. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there's no doubt that fans are going to be coming out. They're going to see some uh, hotshot uh, prospect playing first base, short, uh, shortstop or third base, or pitching, whatever it may be, on a Thursday night, and they're going to uh, – uh, see that guy, take take pictures with him, get an autograph, just kind of interact, do what fans and, and players do. And then uh, in a couple, three weeks or maybe a month down the road, he's in the big leagues. And they're watching on national television as the Padres are taking on the Dodgers or whatever it may be, the Yankees in interleague play. That will happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how many times. Uh, and the fact that the, the Padres have the number one farm system in all of Major League Baseball that's really got our fans excited as well because, they, as you say, it's not just going to be uh, quality play. It's going to be the best play in the country uh, that fans are going to be able to come out and see from our Amarillo Sod Poodle players. You know, and secondly to that, it's not just our players. They're going to see the best 
that the, it's it, the best that the Texas Rangers have at the AA level, the best that the Houston Astros have at the AA level, the best that the Dodgers have at the AA level, and, and Cardinals and Mariners and Oakland A's and on and on and on. So it's our team certainly are going to see great talent, and they're going to be rooting for our hometown guys, but they're going to see the best that Major League Baseball has to offer as well. So to that, like like I mentioned earlier, your social media team has been great, and I've I've been watching. I saw them when they did their scavenger hunt through San Diego. Uh, I thought that was a lot of fun, and I and I think it's also sort of interesting that the AAA team for the Padres is also a Texas team in the El Paso Chihuahuas. How much interplay do you have with the Chihuahuas and the Padres, or how does that work, or where does the line get drawn between what the Sod Poodles are doing versus what the Chihuahuas and, and the Padres are doing? Well, there, there, the, there is no line really. I mean, I, first off, I've known the El Paso guys. I've, I've worked with them at the AAA level in Colorado Springs for the last uh, 13 years, so I'm very familiar with with those folks. They run an unbelievable operation. You know, we we take a lot of lead from from what they do and, and have had so much success on, uh, and they've been a great help to us. Uh, and just offering advice, and you know, because they they did the same thing not too long ago, probably about five years ago. Uh, El Paso opened up a new ballpark in a community that had not had professional affiliated baseball for a long time, and so they've been a great asset to us. And so having that relationship that I've had with them for 13 years at the AAA level has been tremendous for for us. Um, so we 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 do a lot of best practices back and forth, and so having that relationship is really good. Uh, from the aspect of the uh, uh, San Diego Padres, we talk to them virtually on a on a daily basis. You know, going back and forth on different things, whether it be player related, whether it be something in the community, whether it be logistics. There's a lot that goes into uh, fielding and operating and and providing uh, the the facilities and everything else. So that these guys that are coming in from the San Diego Padres uh, at the AA level have the best opportunity to get to the big leagues, and that's that's one of our roles is to give them everything that they need so that they can uh, focus on the baseball on the field to try to get them to the big leagues as soon as possible. And I think that's that's a role we cherish, and and I think the Padres respect the the role we're doing in that. So I love the direction that uh, minor league baseball is going with names that are a little bit more unique that kind of reflect the culture. Um, I, I'm not going to lie; I'm I'm anxiously awaiting my sod poodles jersey to get here. Should be here. I'm hoping any day now. How did you come up with the name, and how was the name received? Because I I think it's got to be one of my four or five favorite. I mean, right up there with like the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Like this is just I love the branding. How did that come about? Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. So we partnered with Brandios, who's a, a national uh, uh, marketer and branding uh, um, organization. They do a lot of minor, minor league teams. They've done a lot at the major league level as well. So we partnered with them on the concept and to kind of help us walk us through the logistics of uh, a rebrand, not a rebrand, but a brand, because there was no re to it. Um, so we started out the, the whole process uh, um, over a year ago. Uh, and we went started out with a uh, call for entries for fans to put in what they thought would be the best uh, name for our team here. And we had, gosh, over 3,000 entries. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, the, mo- the most entered category was the Prairie Dog. Uh, so that was one. And there was obviously things with the beef industry, which is where jer- jerky came from, uh, the quarter horse industry, which is where Bronc Busters came from. And then you had uh, – 
the Route 66, which is where the long haulers came from, and then obviously the Western uh, category, which is where the uh, the boot scooters came from. So we had a lot of different names and categories, but the number one entered category was the Prairie Dog, and so that was one we we had several criteria that when we began this that the name had to uh, had to align with, which was it had to be marketable, had to be kid friendly, family friendly, uh, it had to be unforgettable, and it had to be original. So those are things that we really wanted from the brand to begin with. And we started to look at these different categories that people had uh, entered. Prairie Dog was the number one category. So we kind of focused on that. But again, it had to be original, had to be something that was uh, memorable and really unforgettable. And so we looked into the Prairie Dog. Well, Prairie Dog had been done before in professional baseball. I think an independent team in Abilene had done uh, the Prairie Dogs at one point. So uh, we kind of focused on that. And we were looking at... Uh, uh, nicknames because we wanted to kind of stay in that in that world in that space of prairie dog, and we came up with uh, the uh, sod poodles and it was unique because it was probably eight or nine of us sitting around a conference room table here in Amarillo several, many months before, and uh, the nickname came up and it just popped out as doing some research, and literally every one of those eight or nine people, all of us at the table. Um, popped our heads up the minute that name came out. We didn't know what was going on. We had, we were a blank slate when this thing started. We, we had no concept of names or anything else uh, except for the uh, call for entries and the fan uh, input. And when that name came up, we it was so funny and so unique that we all basically became sod poodles in that moment. If you know a prairie dog, they do a lot of popping up out of the holes. And uh, it was just a right. funny thing that happened. The branding expert uh, looked at me, and everyone around the table looked at me, and I looked at them, and I said, did you feel what just happened? And we all kind of knew in the moment that there was something special about that name. I'm not, I'm not a linguistics expert. I'm a baseball guy. But there's something about Sod Poodle that just says when you say the name, it makes you smile and lets you know that everything's going to be okay. And so uh, we, we took the all those uh, those categories and those names that were in those different uh, categories I spoke about with the uh, beef industry, the Western wear and all that, and uh, six, Route 66 and long haulers, and we put those into a fan boat. And the Sod Poodles by far uh, won the fan boat. And it was, it was really unique even before – or not before, but as the fan vote was going on, uh, and really even after it concluded, certain things just started to happen. You know, we had five names that I, I mentioned earlier that were in the fan vote, and with Sod Poodles uh, winning by far, but people just started to gravitate towards it. All of a sudden, and this is not something we generated. This is we didn't put anything out there about any of the names other than here are the five names. But Sod Poodles took on a life of its own. All of a sudden, we've got Chick-fil-A billboards popping up around town with, you know, uh, chick, chicken tastes better than Sod Poodles. We had a local attorney, uh, the strong arm of the law, doing commercials saying, you don't need a Sod Poodle, you need this strong arm of the, of the law to handle your cases for you. We had cookies being made, bakery items, popsicles being named after it, yard signs and, and wood wood carvings of uh uh, sod poodles, and this is them creating their own look, and T-shirts being made all over the community, and it just took on a life of itself. So, I like to say we 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 brought the name uh, to the community, but the community is what really brought it to life. It was it's it's all uh, they did an amazing job of bringing this uh, this name to life, not only here but really nationally and internationally. 
It's been crazy. So, so yeah, my next question was, how's the community responded? But I guess the answer is they're in love with it. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's been on a journey. It, it started, there was a lot of, and, and I, I tell people this all the time. I, there was a lot of people at the beginning that didn't really get it, didn't understand it. Some didn't like it. Other people were just totally in love with it. So it was a very hot uh, item uh, from the very beginning. And I think that debate is what drove the messaging because a lot of this, again, was done by the community. And so uh, you had people on both ends of the spectrum. And uh, that I think that engagement was caused by this this name that has just been a phenomenon. So uh, it's come full circle now. We have our our merchandise uh, sales have been through the roof. It's one of the hottest brands in the country and and around the around the world really. Um, and when you talk about um, the the fact that we've been able to sell merchandise in all 50 states, so uh, not only in 50 states but also in Japan and also in Canada. I think now we're up to five provinces in Canada where people are wearing sod poodle merchandise because there's something about that character. It's such a lovable character, and if you've seen the logo, the logo represents Amarillo in, a, in an amazing way in the state of Texas, and uh, it's, it's something we're very proud of. And of course, the name uh, and, and the logo align perfectly. So we've been very, very fortunate, very blessed that the community has has taken this name on and made it their own, and we're we're pretty excited about that. So just a few more questions then. Um, like you said, Texas, Amarillo, you know, I'm a born and raised Texan, grew up in Houston at the Astrodome. Um, Texans are very proud of being Texans, and we're all proud of our city. So how will, in the Amarillo Sod Poodles experience, will the culture of Amarillo kind of permeate through like are you requiring at least one player to use amarillo by morning as a walk-up song because you should yeah you're, you're going to hear a lot of texas music in the ballpark and we have an amazing ballpark we haven't even talked about that but we have uh, one of the best ballparks in the country our sound system and our digital platforms and the scoreboard and the you know uh, the digital wall we have on left field and just all the amenities of the ballpark makes this one of the best ballparks. This is a, one of the newest technology ballparks being built, obviously. It's, it's one of the latest ballparks being built. So it has everything you could possibly imagine from a 360 walking track. I think there's probably uh, 6,000 6, square feet of digital space in the ballpark that's all LED, HD uh, uh, video space. We have a, over 100 televisions in the ballpark. We have social areas. Um, the, the way the ballpark is set up itself, uh, I, I'm telling you, our, our, the worst seat in the house, which I don't even know that we have one, would be a premium seat in most ballparks. That's how close you are to the field. Um, it's, it's just an amazing ballpark set up for the new uh, new world of baseball where there's a lot of socializing, less people sitting in, in hard, fixed seats, but more room for people to move around and have a good time at the ballpark. So we're very proud of this ballpark, and we have some great partners in, in Western Hunt, which is our local builder, Western uh, Builders, and, and Hunt, which is an international builder, uh, have partnered on this as the project managers and, and builders, and then Populous, which designs some of the best ballparks in the country and around the world. So, uh, And then our partnership with the city. Everyone, uh, as I say many times, everyone's pulling the wagon in the same direction. We've had a very aggressive schedule to get this ballpark in and done, uh, which will end up being within about 12 months of uh, beginning of dirt moving out here. So uh, incredible job by everyone, and uh, we're well on our way to getting this thing ready for April 8th. But uh, I couldn't ask for better partners, quite honestly. 
Well, speaking of the ballpark and speaking of everything, I'm going to be driving up for a game in June this year from Austin. My wife and I are making the trek. And what do you hope I come away with out of, from my first sod pool experience? Well, I, I, I hope what we're able to provide, and, and hope uh, is a word I like to use, but you know, we will be providing uh, an incredible fan experience because to us, that's what it's all about. We're successful if the fans feel like they've had an experience that they can't get anywhere else. And, and I think that's what minor league baseball, and that's specifically what we're driven to, is creating that fan experience is second to none and where people feel welcome. This is their ballpark. Uh, the ballpark is called Hodgetown after uh, a, a very – prominent uh, person here, Jerry Hodge and Margaret Hodge in town, who've, who've been so philanthropic and, and assisting and wanting the best for Amarillo. They've always wanted the best for Amarillo. And, and I think, you know, you ask what's happening in Amarillo, what do we expect uh, when people, visitors come in from, uh, from all over the state and all over the country? I think you're going to see a community that's growing, that is excited about the growth. You know, I, I tell people this all the time that, you know, there's so much energy here in downtown Amarillo and around the community for, for growth and to see Amarillo take off and really go to that next level. And what's cool for us is there's all this energy, and I like to call it fuel, that's already on the ground. And what's fun for us is to be the spark uh, here in this ballpark down at Hodgetown and the sod puddles, the spark that ignites that fuel. And you're already seeing it. Just in the just in the months that I've been here, a year that I've been here, um, uh, the growth around downtown, the startup businesses, the restaurants, everything's starting to uh, really take off. And I think when you come here in 2019 and then you come back here three, four or five years later, you won't even recognize the place. It's that kind of that kind of engagement, that kind of growth and excitement here in Amarillo. So we're very proud to be a part of it, a small part of it. And uh, we can't wait for visitors from Austin, from Dallas and all over the state to come in and visit us because it's going to we're going to put on a great experience for you. Well, Tony, I honestly can't wait. I've circled. We picked our game. I've, we circled it for since the schedule came out. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to getting up there and, and just taking it all in for a couple of ball games. Well, we're excited to have you and excited for uh, everyone to come in and visit here in Amarillo. It's, uh, it's going to be a special, uh, special uh, ballpark here in Hodgetown. And, and obviously, Amarillo is already a special place. So look forward to you coming and visiting us. And uh, be sure to look me up when you get here. I will, and thanks so much for coming on Let's Get Two. And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So that about wraps it up for us. Thanks so much to everybody who came on the show. And I want to say before we get going that I want to thank our fans. And that's the thing, is we have fans. and. It's been a really, really touching thing for me. I'm someone who's always about community, and I don't mean that in this like macro scale. I, I don't have that level of nobility in me necessarily. But I just mean I'm always someone who wants to be part of a community, and I think it's something that's driven me all of my life. I've always wanted to have a lot of friends. When I was in the Army, I looked forward to that brotherhood. My film crew is like a family, and so... I like the idea that I can connect with people. And, and again, I'm not trying to sound like I'm this like super noble or humanitarian guy. I need the connection myself. It's all, it's all pretty selfish. And, you know, as we try to grow the show, we didn't, we didn't know what this show would be, would be, would become. 
we have a really big social media following. We have a really big reach. But so much of that reach is, comes from independent film, and I didn't really know what would translate. But, you know, we occasionally started doing pushed Facebook posts to try to reach out to more people from our page. And the amount of feedback that we've gotten, the amount of people that are sharing the the post and tagging other people in it and saying, you should listen to this. I, I've had people comment that it's now replaced what they listen to at the gym. Um, that they're sharing it with their with their dad, which you know anybody who's listened to any episodes of the show knows how how big a deal that is for me. And so it's it's really just been awesome. It's enhanced my enjoyment of the game. It's really increased my thirst to do it better, to make sure that the show is more stays interesting, and to really kind of um, again just to be better. And and that's the kind of thing that's always driven me. It's driven me with our films. It's driven me with our film festival. When I feel like I'm starting to accomplish the goal, I don't relax. My drive to make it better increases. And so hopefully you'll see the results of that in the coming weeks, and, and hopefully you'll stay with us. We are going to be recruiting some of the fans of the show to come on and talk about their favorite teams and what they like about baseball too. So you know, if there's something you're interested in, by all means, hit us up. So again, just thank you to, for all the kind words. It hasn't gone unnoticed and it's really really meant the world to me so before we get out of here we want to talk a little bit about our player of the week and our teams of the week so first our player of the week casey mize of the erie sea wolves since getting promoted to double a he has thrown one nine inning no hitter a five inning shutout and over his two double a starts he is two and zero with a zero era 11 strikeouts, one walk, and 14 innings. I think that's pretty good. I've been told by many experts that that is good. We do want to send two shout-outs to our teams of the week. The Quad City River Bandits improved their record to 20-13 and 13 with their win against the Lansing Lugnuts after blanking them 6 to nothing, And the Down East Wood Ducks, one of my favorite brands in baseball, Got their 23rd win of the season already. So next week, we're going to be back with the Frontier League and talk a little bit to the Washington Wild things. So until next time, keep watching baseball. And remember, candlesticks, they make a really good gift. You might want to check where she's registered, maybe a place setting or something. And let's get to. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd.